as we have said in our bulletin in a couple of weeks ago, we want to talk about the topic of abortion this evening. This is in the news. It's become a very, very hot topic in our country. And our interest is not upon Supreme Court rulings. It's not upon the White House or talking points of politicians. But what does God say about this topic? Now, in this audience, I believe probably 99, if not 100% of us, are on the same page on this. But what I'm trying to give to you this evening is some things that you can talk to your co-workers and your family and your friends about these things. So we got several ways we're going to look at this this evening. And I encourage you to get your Bible out and get your pens. We've got a couple of things I want you to write down to look at as we consider this together. And hopefully it will be helpful for us. There was an old preacher a long time ago who was giving advice to a young preacher. And his advice was have a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand. And the idea behind that is there are things going on in our times that are a concern to us. And we need to see what God says about that and address those things as they are. A lot of things that you and I have that are precious to us. A lot of us try to get a house that's just the way we want it to be. We have collectibles and photos and just a lot of things that are just near and dear to us. But one of the greatest things that we have is called life itself. And so we want to begin this evening in the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon talks to us about this concept of life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, he says, For whoever is joined with the living, he says, There is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. And Solomon makes two contrasts here. First of all, there's a contrast between the animals, a dog and a lion. And we know the lion is the king of the forest, king of the jungle. And a little dog or a big dog would not have any chance against a lion. But he also makes another contrast, and that is the conditions of these animals. The lion is dead. The dog is alive. And what he's emphasizing from here is an inferior dog becomes superior because the lion is no longer living. Now, this is not a study in biology. This is not a study about dogs and animals. But this is about life. And what we see in this passage is how important life is. It is the greatest gift that God has given us. Jesus said in the book of John in chapter 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, Jesus was talking not in the cemetery, but to living people. Even though you have breath in your body, there's another kind of life that I was given to them. He was going to give them a purpose, and he was going to give them freedom, and he was going to give them hope, hope eternally in Jesus Christ. And so if you got your Bible, turn with me to the very first page, the book of Genesis in chapter 1. Because when we talk about this subject, rather than just running real fast into the, to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, thou shalt not kill, I think there's a greater picture to see. And the nature of God is life. How this fits in with Jason's lesson this morning about the creation of trees and how God uses that. And as God talks about his people, he uses living metaphors. He talks about us being sheep or branch on the vine. Even when he refers to us as being rocks or stones, we are living stones. And so the concept of life is something that is a nature of God. So begin here in verse 11 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said... 
Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, a third day. God made things to keep making things. God is the author of life. Now we go a few verses later in the same chapter down to verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. God saw that it was good. We're seeing life. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the face of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Again, looking at this concept of life. When you go to chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, chapter 2, look at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden towards the east in the Eden where he, planted, where he placed the man whom he had formed. This concept of life is the nature of God. So when we talk about the subject of abortion, what does the Bible say about that? We must begin, first of all, by understanding God. And God is the author of life, and God believes in life. And so what we're going to look at this evening as we talk about this subject, the idea that joined with the living, that phrase from the book of Ecclesiastes, how important this is. This is a political topic for some people. This is a very hot topic for a lot of people. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But what we need to see is what does the Bible teach about this? The recent Supreme Court decision did not outlaw abortion. In fact, it's not even the decision yet. It's something that was kind of snuck out of the Supreme Court house. And what it's going to do is put it in the hands of each state where each state can decide for themselves. But this has stirred up the masses. This has stirred up a lot of people. And a lot of things are being said that's simply not true. And so what we want to begin with this evening is when does life begin? Now that's an interesting question. And let's see how the author of life answers this. So in the book of Jeremiah, we begin, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God made Jeremiah. I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Not only did God make him, God knew Jeremiah before he was born, and God had plans for Jeremiah. And so once again, as we start talking about life, when does it start? We must look at the one who makes life and whose nature is life, and that is God. In the book of Psalms, in chapter 139, the psalmist says this. Now notice the details as he's describing this. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they are all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet not one of them. So when we look at this, we understand that at conception, the genetic blueprint is set. Male or female, those things are already determined at the point of conception. At three weeks, the heart is beating. At six weeks, eyes and limbs are forming. At ten weeks, there is visible fingerprints. And oftentimes, there's a picture of that little baby sucking his thumb. Now, let's go onward. Here's where I need you to get your pens out. Write some things in your Bible. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 41, it came about when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We remember that Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist. News had come that Mary was going to be expecting the Messiah and how that was going to come about. But that Greek word there, brihos, I want you to focus on that word because we're going to see it two or three more times. In the womb, God shows a word that's called baby. Now, medically and sometimes in science classes, we talk about the word fetus. Sometimes we talk about the embryo. And sometimes we designate those as pre-human or not formed or not life itself. God, in the womb, said that this is a baby. Now, Luke chapter 2, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby, brihos, wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. Same word. Inside the womb, brihos. Outside, this baby's now born. It's a brihos. Same chapter, verse 16. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby, brihos, as he lay in the manger. And so what I want you to see is that when God who makes life was looking at this, and when he was picking the words he was going to use by the Holy Spirit, the word he used for in the womb and out of the womb are the same word. Baby in the womb, baby born. Same word. Now again, when we talk about what's going on in our society, Politicians are very, very careful to say that abortion is not killing a baby. Because everybody gets incised about that. They get upset about that. Please don't say we're killing babies. We're killing a fetus. We're killing something else. But we're not killing a baby. And the view of heaven, what's in, what's out, is the same word. Luke chapter 18. And they were bringing their babies, brihas, to him so he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. And then remember that little passage in the book of 1 Peter? Not really about babies, but it's about you and I as young disciples. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Like newborn babes desire or long for the pure milk of the word, same word again, brihas. And so what we're seeing here is when God chose the language to define these things, he used the same word for baby inside, outside. And so when we make some conclusions, God considers life at conception. And that's going to be something we're going to talk about here in just a little bit more. Biblically speaking, abortion is killing a baby. 
A lot of people will say, don't say that word. Don't use the word baby. But biblically speaking, that's what we find. Now, as we think again about the nature of God, the nature of God is life. Not only do we see that concept there, but we go on in our Bibles, and we notice that God not only creates life, but he values the sanctity of life. Turn your Bibles, if you will, with me to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 8. This is a passage that would be used later on to talk about Jesus in the book of Hebrews. But here, the first time it's used in the book of Psalms, it's referring to mankind in general. And so here in Psalms chapter 8, beginning of verse 3, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and a son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You crown him with the glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hand. You put them under the works of your feet and all the sheep and oxen, also all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the feast of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. He said, you have put man on a special place. God, you've honored man. Of course, we remember John three sixteen. God so loved the world. He's not talking about the planet. He's not talking about rocks and dirt. He's talking about you and I. God values life. In Luke chapter 9, Luke puts this wonderful passage this way. For what is man profit if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Again, the value of life. Now, what's also interesting as you kind of follow this thread through the Bible. There are occasions when God took a life. God killed somebody. We think about Nadab and Abihu. When they offered a strange fire, God took their life. We think about Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts chapter 5. When they lied to God, God took their life. So whenever God took a life or allowed other people to take life, it was because the person was guilty. So look at some verses. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. This is where we get the idea, eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, and a life for a life. In Leviticus chapter 24, if a man takes the life of any human being, he shall surely be put to death. So what God is saying here is life is sacred. And when it comes to taking that life, I've got regulations, I've got rules about this. In the book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 13, it says, as it talks about the government, it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. What is so ironic and makes no sense is that those who are for abortion are against the death penalty. A person is safer in a prison on death row than he is in his mother's womb. But God is saying life can be taken if the person has been deemed guilty in those things. And so today what we're finding is all kinds of protests going on. And all kinds of things being said. And the pressure is being put upon people to make a stance about these things. And we'll look at some of these results as we consider some more things in our lesson. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, there's been 63 million babies aborted in America. If we were to take one second 
to pause for each of these 63 million. And we didn't stop. Seven days a week, 24-7, 365 days in a year. One second for everyone who's been aborted. 63 million seconds without stopping. It would take us 20 years. That's a sight. And we're going to talk about this at the very end of our lesson. On average, there's one million abortions in America today. One in four women have had an abortion. This is why this is a serious topic. This is why this is a concern of us. And the majority who've had abortions are in their 20s and below the poverty level. Now, from that, we need to see that the progressive extreme element of our society today is now pushing for full-term abortions. What they mean is that baby's in the ninth month. That means that baby could be born today, healthy. Everything's going fine. But some are saying that they would like to have an abortion even up to that moment. Some have gone so far as saying even after the baby's born, we could have some abortions. And so we have a very wide range of what people are saying about these things today. So five false statements we need to appreciate. Number one, abortion is a civil rights issue. That is a false statement. And because of that, people are making this to be prejudice. If you are against abortion, you're considered to be prejudiced. And they're throwing all kinds of words out there. The concept of civil rights is equality for every living being. Civil rights should have some rights for the unborn child. And so the idea of abortion is not a civil rights issue. It's pushed by a progressive unit today that just wants to do what they want to do. Secondly, it is said that abortion is about women's health. And that, too, is a false statement. Study after study, multiple studies, have revealed that a lot of women who've had abortion had, had suffered severe depression, there is a link between breast cancer and abortion. There's a rise in suicide amounts among those who've had abortions. So we think if it's a healthier, better thing, then we ought to see that. But what we do is we see just the opposite. And then it's presented that abortion is nothing more than an elective surgery on a woman's body. It's like getting your appendix out. The only problem with that is that doesn't make any sense. Because what's in the woman's body can be a different blood type, a different sex, different hair color, different eye color. It may look more like the father than the mother. It may have more traits like the father than the mother. And no other part of your body is like that. Your appendix is not like that. Your appendix is going to have the same blood type the rest of your body does. And so when we think that this is nothing more than just removing a part of my body, it dismisses this idea that this is a baby created by God. And again, that's how society wants to see this. And then abortion is a woman's right. It's her choice. And sometimes you'll see people say, it's my body. I can do anything I want with that. Got your Bible. Turn with me to Psalms 100. And there's a couple of passages I want to put on that. And, and first of all, that's not a true statement. You cannot do anything you want. You may get away with some things, but you cannot do it. 
Now, you can leave this parking lot this evening and says, I don't have to wear my seatbelt. Nobody can tell me it's my life. I can do what I want. And you might just get pulled over by a policeman for not wearing your seatbelt. You can say, it's my life. I can pump all the drugs I want to in my, in my body because it's my life. Now, you may get away with that, but there's laws against that. There's even laws about taking your own life. You know, if I don't want to live anymore, I'll just take my life. There's laws against that. And so in the book of Psalms, in chapter 100, the psalmist reminds us of this in verse 3. He says, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who's made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so when we look at a topic like this, we have to understand it is assumed that we have the right to do whatever we want to do. That's a false assumption. We cannot say in this church, we're going to decide how we're going to reorganize this church. Now, if we want to go to heaven, we cannot say, you know what, in this church, we'll decide what books of the Bible we will follow, not if we want to go to heaven. God has established some things, and they're already decided. And so when we think about a baby in somebody's body, that has been decided by God that that is a life. And nobody has a right to take the life of the innocent. And again, we need to see how important that is. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, more so even to us disciples, I want you to notice verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and verse 20. Here in a section that deals with sexuality and where God has it and where it's out of bounds, he says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not yourself? It's my life. I can do what I want. No, you can't. The day you got baptized, you gave the ownership and the title of your life to Jesus Christ. He owns your life. He controls your life. He's the one. Verse 20 says, For you have been bought with a price, Therefore, glorify God in your body. And we'll see the outcome of some of that. And then the fifth statement that's simply not true is the idea that Jesus said nothing about abortion. And so because this is said, it's assumed it's okay. Jesus never said anything, so it has to be okay. Now, this is coming from the religious community. The religious community is trying to justify this, and the modern church, which is just interested in filling the, the pews with people and they don't want to upset anybody, they're saying that this is something that the Bible simply doesn't talk about. Well, Jesus never said anything about sex trafficking either, did he? Does that make it right? Jesus didn't say anything about drugs, did he? But does that make it right? But really what's interesting is Jesus did talk about this. And what we find is Jesus lived under these Old Testament principles we've just been reading about. Jesus understood that God is the author of life. Jesus understood all these things that emphasize this concept about what life is and how important it is. Jesus was the one who said, love your neighbor as yourself. Who is a closer neighbor to you than what's in your womb? And Jesus was the one who taught that. Go out of your way and do what is right. Go out of your way and help this person, not end their life. 
And it was Jesus who taught the golden rule. How important that is, to do unto others. Uh, Ronald Reagan made this statement when he was president. I've noticed, he said, that all those who are in favor of abortion have already been born. Interesting thought, isn't it? And then Jesus valued children and used them as illustrations of discipleship. In your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 18, just to grab a verse to put on that. Matthew chapter 18, and look at verse 3 and verse 4. Again, showing how Jesus viewed children and viewed life itself. Matthew 18, verse 3. Verse 2 says, And he called a child to himself and stood to him in their midst and says, Truly I say to you, unless you're converted and become like children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was showing you that children have value. Now, a research study about why people get abortions. Here's what they revealed. 50% did not want to be a single parent. 66, and now some of these are just, they repeated in different things. 66% said they could not afford another child. And 75% said that the child would interfere with their lifestyles and their plans. Now when you look at these three major statistics, there's one common theme running through all of those, and that's me. I don't want to be a single parent. I can't afford it. It messes with my lifestyle. And all of that is about selfishness. The very opposite of what parenthood is all about and developing the thing that God wants us to. So, I want to look at four concluding statements for you real quickly here. Number one, God has developed a wonderful place for children to be born, and that's called the family. In your Bible, go back with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you will, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read 19 and 20. Let's go back in verse 18. Because this is an aspect that's never talked about. And the reason why it's talked, not talked about is because people have just given up on this point. And they think society has so embraced this, it's a lost battle. I do not believe this. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it begins in verse 18 with two words, flee fornication. We know what causes pregnancy. That's, that's not a mystery. It's not the water. We know what causes it. And so to everything we do, there are consequences. You say something, there are consequences. You have sexual relations, there are consequences. And what God has deemed, where God puts sexual relations, is within a marriage. So if there's a pregnancy, that's the way God designed it. That's the way God planned it. All the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 1. The problem is, society doesn't want to talk about sex outside of marriage. It's in the TV shows. It's in the movies. It's everywhere. People have sex because they, it's like test driving a car. I've got to see if I can test drive this thing. And what they've done is they have lost the sacredness of marriage and of sexuality as God has this. So there is a place for children to be born, and the natural and right place is the family. And we need to see that. And that is the beginning point to talk to people. When they talk about, I'm pregnant, I'm thinking about ending this, why are you having sexual relations with somebody you're not married to? That is a concern. That's something that we need to see. 
Secondly, as we think about some thoughts here, pro-choice is not the choice of the baby. It never is. And so it's a choice of someone who doesn't want to be hindered, bothered, or financially responsible, and they simply don't want this baby anymore. Number three, there are other options. There are other options. Kathy Barnett finished in third place this past Tuesday in the Pennsylvania Republican runoff for Senate. She's an author. She's an accomplished person. But what's interesting about Kathy Barnett's story is that her mother was raped and Kathy was born. Rather than having an abortion, she had a birth. And that child grew up and became successful and became right. This is personal to me. You know these people. My grandkids, half of them. And there's three of them from South Korea. I am thankful that their mother did not have an abortion. Some of you in this room have adopted. And how thankful you are when you look at these bright little eyes, these cheerful hearts, these wonderful little people that just want to do things. There are other options. And that's something we'll tie in here in our next point. And then, as disciples, we have to be compassionate, not judgmental, and not condemning. The, the, the concern of mine with this sermon is that we walk away and say, God said you're killing the baby, you're going to hell. Well, that's just going to drive somebody to have an abortion. What they need to see is people who are compassionate. In John chapter 4 and John chapter 8, we find Jesus meeting two women who have problems. In John chapter 4, there's a woman who had been married five times. She now was living with somebody who was not her husband. Jesus did not say, what a mess you are, woman. I have no words for you. He did not say that. He talked about living water and giving her hope. In John 8, there's a woman in the beginning of the day who was caught in the very act of adultery, brought before Jesus as a test. The disciples were, or rather the Pharisees were wanting Jesus to stone her, and they all left, and Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And so we must be willing to be supportive of this. So we have a voice that says, I am against abortion. I am pro-life. How supportive of you are that? There are organizations such as Sacred Selections, not a part of the church, but it's connected to members of the Church of Christ to help brethren adopt children. And sometimes we can say, well, you know what? I I'm against abortion. I believe in these things, but do we support them? Do we pray that more and more hearts will turn and be open where they will adopt and these young mothers will see there are other options. There's other things that can be done. The great Albert Schweitzer said this, if a man loses his reverence for any part of life, he will lose his reverence for all of life. We can say that the unborn is no longer needed or wanted. It won't be long when somebody's going to say somebody in their 80s and 90s are no longer wanted, no longer useful, no longer needed. We can start cutting off both ends of life. And so this is important for us. And we need to see what God says in regard to this. 
not be afraid of these things and to stand where God says. As we end this, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Revelation in chapter 7. A thought occurred to me as I was looking over my notes a while ago about those 63 million babies already aborted. No graveyards, no markers, no one visiting their graves. They're just gone. But God believed that they were life. God believed they were babies. Where are they? Well, look with me in Revelation chapter 7. And in verse 9. And after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, people, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures. And they fall on their faces before the throne and worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I particularly like how this starts in verse 9. A number which could not be counted. I believe those 63 million souls are in the presence of God. The God who made them. I believe they're adorning God who created them. They never took a breath from this atmosphere. They never walked on this planet. But they never sinned. Souls pure and white and perfect, just as God created them. They didn't get a chance, but I believe they'll be in heaven. Now, what's it going to be like to have somebody's name born in heaven? What's it going to be like? I don't know, and you don't know, but God takes care of that. And that's the only redeeming thing I see in this, is that they're not forgotten by heaven. They're not just tossed in some trash can, but God made them, and God has them. And that's something we need to hold dear to our hearts. This is something that I believe is going to get hotter and hotter and hotter politically as we head towards elections. This is something where people are going to be saying some nasty things. This is something where people are going to raise their voices and say some things that's simply not true. This is something where people will be pushing themselves and their agendas more than what the Word of God says. Sadly, we'll be disappointed where some brethren stand. We'll be greatly disappointed where a lot of churches are lining up on this. Because they're more interested in being popular than standing with God. But I hope this lesson has given you some understanding, some insight. There's a lot more things we could have said. But these are just enough for us to understand when does life begin. And to understand how precious life is. Of all the things you have, you have life. And that's why Jesus came. He didn't come down here to pay off your house. He didn't come down here to wash your car. He didn't come down here to see your collectibles. He came down here to save your soul. Made in the image of God. And so hopefully we'll think about these thoughts. Hopefully you'll see that you know it doesn't matter how much 
money I have in the bank. doesn't matter if I have finished school or never even went to school. God has given me the greatest thing he could, and that's life. And that live dog is better than that dead lion. That dead lion is good for only one thing. That's made of rug out of him. You know, I've seen lion rugs. They're, made of, they're never made out of live lions. They're made out of dead lions. That little bitty dog, even though he has life, he has chance. He has opportunity. And so do you. And that's the great blessings. You and I know people in our lives who are walking rapidly away from Jesus. But as long as they have life in their body, we can pray for them that they'll turn around. We know people that are just making bad choices every day, but as long as there's life in the body, there's hope, and that's what we cling on to. And as we think about our own lives, being rooted in Jesus, as we talked about this morning, how valuable it is for us to see, yeah, I've made some bad choices. I did some things I shouldn't have done. I didn't stand for Jesus like I should have, but I'm a live dog, and I can make a difference. I can make a change. I have opportunity I have today. That's what God has given to each of us. So those are our thoughts. This evening, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one by giving your heart to Jesus, realizing how valuable your life is. Once you cross through that door of death, there's no coming back. You will not go to work tomorrow and talk to people and say, what'd you do on the weekend? Oh, I just did this, I did this, I cut my yard. You know, as Wiley said, I did this. What'd you do? Well, I died, but I'm back. No, that door swings one way. It's the door of death. And once you cross through that door, there's no more chance, no more opportunities. Luke 16, that rich man vividly tells us that. Oh, to have one more day. But he was like that dead lion. He had no more days. And so this behooves all of us to think, you know, if I'm kicking that can down the road, I need to be doing things. Maybe, I, you know, I'll do it next Sunday. I'll do it someday. That door is going to have your name on it. And you have to go through that door. And then it's all over. And so that's why this helps us. God wants you in heaven so bad he sent Jesus. He wants you in heaven so bad he gave us this perfect word of God to follow. And all of our culture and all of our society is pulling us this way and that way, and we just need to see, I need to focus on Jesus. He's going to get me there and stay with that. If you're stepping, why don't you come and stand as we sing.